boy. Phantasm, the delusion of a disordered mind, a phantom, a spirit, a ghost. The funeral is about to begin, sir. You think that when you die, you go to heaven, you come to us. It's only a dream. It's a dream. No, it's not. The ball is back. Tear him up! Episode 14, The Phantasm Franchise. I've been waiting for you. This again. So this is going to be episode 14 of the Tear Them Apart podcast. I'm Evan. I'm Paul. That's probably the slickest we've ever been doing the introduction. That's amazing. And um, what's episode 14 going to be, Paul? Well, it's the the Phantasm franchise. Oh, I hope we're only doing the first two movies. No, we're going to do all of them. Oh, shit. I guess that's the reason I watched three through five the other day and threw up all over myself and had a heart attack. And I made copious notes. I was writing these notes like I was writing a paper on them, like I was in college. And my arm hurt me so bad. Oh, I forgot my arm, my wrist brace. I forgot my wrist brace. I forgot my soda for a moment. And I forgot my notebook with You're all my shoeless. notes. Yeah. And I, and I still haven't bought a new pair of glasses after a car ran over my glasses. So I'm really living the dream right now. But we're going to do Phantasm 1 through 5. So you can all stop saying boy right now. <laughs> boy. All right. <laughs> Just stop. Just like the movies. Stop with the boy. Boy. It was good. It's done. Boy. God, they should have stopped after like, they should, oh, well, whatever. Well, we're done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing. When I was a kid. Yeah, what's your, what's your in on this? When I was a kid, I used to watch Benny Hill at Mm. 11 o'clock at night on Channel 9. I know where you're going on this. Yeah. 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 And then after Benny Hill, it was like. Dave Allen or somebody else. Dave Allen or um, Frankie fucking Howard yeah. or uh, the two Ronnies, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But yes. But if you're a kid Dave Allen, right, yeah. in 1979 watching Benny Hill on Channel 9, you will see a Phantasm commercial. And it will it scared the fuck out of everyone I know. Yeah. Phantasm. Is it a nightmare? <laughs> Whatever it is, if this one doesn't scare you, you're already dead. Phantasm. Rated R. Definitely scared the hell out of me. We've talked about it on a few episodes before, the commercials that really stuck with us. The the zombie, the uh, zombie ad... The... If you go back to our first uh, Halloween episode, you could listen to that. That's true. That's true. And there'll be a link somewhere on the internet <laughs> to that. I don't know how to do it. But yeah, the Phantasm ad gave me nightmares. Of all of them, it was the, mo- it was the one that was the most intriguing, though. I-, I still had no idea what the hell was going on in Phantasm. And you still don't. Uh, that's right. That's exactly... <laughs> it's true. It's really weird because you feel like you have Phantasm pegged. No. It makes no fucking sense. And the first one, I didn't want to do too much reading, but reading about three through five had things about one. One is apparently literally a dream. It's based on a dream that Don Coscarelli had, and that's what you get. Mm. You get a low-budget, weird dream with his ensemble of 
semi-actors that he'd worked before on some other project. It's clear there was never supposed to be a second film. Because, unfortunately, the second film leads to problems that just sort of escalate till they fall apart by the last now, You and I really like the second film. I prefer it than the first. I, lo I love both of them for different reasons. Um, but I really do believe the second movie is a better made film. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really, really good film. I think it's a good sequel. I think it's a good setup for a series. That yes. It opens happen. up the world. Yes. And I think it has some things in it that people forget are in that one. That they just attribute to the franchise and to the first movie in a way. The Gravers and a few other things like that. Uh, obviously the shotgun. Which, right. like everything in the series, gets played out a little too much. Well, we'll get it. I mean, we should talk yeah. about the first one. So, yeah. So, the Phantasm first... is one of my favorite horror movies. Phantasm's terrific. It, you know, I watch it. I always go back to it. Yeah, I just revisited it a few months ago and then watched the second one again. And I watched three through five a few days ago. But, yeah, watching the movies is a lot like watching Angus Scrim age. Oh, yeah. It's depressing. Mm. It gets slower and more cringy and after a while it almost becomes self-parody and like did we really need to w wake angus up for this scene in his deathbed literally when he's dying <laughs> yeah which i don't think was cynicism on the part of the movie makers no. See, I, I never feel this is the funny thing about it unlike friday the 13th say the hellraiser movies this uh, franchise is famous for one person being in control of all the movies even though coscarelli did not direct the last one it never feels cynical it's something I actually haven't thought of before. But as much as I don't like the later parts of the series, it never feels like a cash grab. They're not grabbing cash on this movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> they really didn't make money. Right. And it doesn't feel like, fuck the fans ever. It doesn't feel like we got to pump something out because we have the rights. It, nothing feels like a contractual obligation necessarily. But it is probably the best case or worst case of a controlled franchise that goes off the rails. You could argue Romero has control of his dead films. But Phantasm 1 is one of my top... You know, Phantasm for me is a lot like Halloween for you. Okay. I just find it endlessly... Well, you, you do too. I find it endlessly watchable, endlessly satisfying, even if it's completely... Perplexing. <laughs> but the perplexing of that film sucks me in in a way that the perplexing of a lot of giallos and supernatural Italian movies don't. I don't feel like there's really like I watch Inferno and I'm and I'm sucked in by the idea of the three mothers, but the way it's played out in the actual movie, there's nothing mysterious or interesting going on. It's very, it's all over the place. Now Phantasm is all over the place too, but it's focused. It doesn't right. go to the park and start dealing with murderous uh, snack salesmen. <laughs> I think or, I think the you know I think the late seventies. There's a, it's a magical time. There's a lot of really insane movies being made that are important. Halloween, we have Phantasm, you get Tourist Trap, these very odd... Yeah, even if they're bad, like Maniac, they're, they're compelling yes. in a very weird... There's this sleaze element, there's a, there's a nightmarish element to a lot of these movies that, um, that really works for me and grabs me. And some of it might be nostalgia. I didn't see Phantasm or Halloween when they first came out. Neither did I. I was too afraid. Mm. <laughs> I was really totally for, uh, too afraid. Phantasm, especially, that ad shows three sequences that I remember scaring me. The tall man walking in slow motion towards me, towards you. Uh, the bed. Oh, the yeah. dream with the bed where arms just come, people come ripping out to grab 
uh, Mike and Jody sitting in the chair and the slab busts open and he's got they didn't look like any other horror movie you've ever seen you know the zombies was terrifying in Dawn of the Dead but you knew what a zombie was well, it comes for you the ball the ball was bizarre but it didn't scare me quite right but it was it, it was... scared me in the movie when I saw it but right. in the ad it was the least weird thing <laughs> uh, in Phantasm and they basically didn't tell you what it was about if this doesn't scare you, you're already dead, I think was the tagline. That's it. Yeah. And they're showing us literal nightmare imagery, which is what the film is. It's, it's, it's nightmare imagery, but it works on a level for me that Nightmare on Elm Street does not. Those are two films that have nightmare logic, but this really feels like a nightmare that's unfolding, and this is the world. Whereas Nightmare on Elm Street, the nightmare logic of these like high-concept set pieces and a way to explain away illogic and a way to keep the uh, the murderer away from everyone. And this one is just nuts while it's actually happening in front of your eyes. You don't know what the hell's going on. Do you want to go through the plot of it? Yeah, we should. We should because we're going to end up going through the franchise. And the like we talked about with Friday the 13th, a fascinating thing of being a fan of these damn things is trying to figure them out. Even if you don't want to figure them out, you can't help. Well, watching three through five, I'm comparing things that I know from the first two movies, and then I'm comparing things from three, four, and five. Phantasm does have a straight continuity, even if it doesn't make sense, but you you can track it, and um, it's fascinating to try to find meaning in the films because I don't really think there is much meaning in these films. Right. I think that all the meaning in these films is basically summed up in the first movie, which is uh, mourning, uh, fear of loss childhood and friendship which are great themes and do stick it's just how they present it that goes off the rails but the first movie is see the first right off the bat the first movie doesn't present itself as a great movie to make more movies of no and, and i think it's i think it's kind of hard to even explain the plot because it's it's very confusing it, it is very confusing and it's also told in such a way that he doesn't really explain things on purpose from what i can remember some of the influences on this movie was uh, Boonwell, uh, Cocteau, and things like that. Dreamlike movies, stark imagery, dream logic, nightmare imagery. And that's basically really what you get in this movie. They don't explain anything. And I kind of love that. And it did confuse me the first time I saw it. because I, Especially then, because I'm really looking for a literal rollout of events. And shit just happens. Right. And shit just happens that is almost David Lynch-like without the style, without maybe even the intentions. So yeah, let's go over the plot real quick. How does it open? See, I had to remember some of this stuff when I rewatched it a few months ago just for, for sh you know, shits and giggles. Like, right. I forget that it doesn't start with them. It starts with a friend of theirs. Because this right. character is not really introduced in a way that he sticks, and he's actually an important plot point. Right. I can't remember his name. Steve, maybe? I, I don't remember. Right? I mean, yeah. But he doesn't appear on screen much, but I believe he's the accelerant for the plot. It's a small town. Right. And this dude goes to the cemetery with a lady in lavender clothes. Right. Who will be known as the lady in lavender later on. I think she's even is listed as that in the credits for the first one, but that's what she's known as. And they're going to have sex... And she kills him. Right. With a knife. And you almost forget that that happens. 
even though it's the thing that sets up the story. So Mike, who is our main character in the first movie, uh, without exception, he is our he is because it gets it gets weird throughout the series, uh, not necessarily because of the writing process, but because of <laughs> a lot of things, budget, the way the films ended up working. Uh, Mike, in a weird way, gets sidelined throughout a lot of this story. But Mike is our main character. He's teenager, obviously uh, intelligent, resourceful, lonely, doesn't seem to have any friends of his own, uh, worships his brother, and is good friends with his brother's friend Reggie, the ice cream salesman. Right. Um, and, and, and just for the distinction, he's more of a good humor than a Mr. Tasty. Right. He doesn't have the up. He doesn't have the uh, uh, ice cream man horror movie ice cream truck. He's got the one where you got to get out of the truck, go to the back, and right. pull a pop out of the out of the uh, freezer in the back, which is what I grew up with. Our yeah. guy was Frank. Yeah. No, I grew he up was, with like a Mr. Tasty. Yeah. He was kind of split. He was not. In a, he was a weird dude. He was just. He didn't seem to like kids, but who knows. Uh, so yeah, and so the town, it's a very, um, claustrophobic film, even though we do get to see some of the town and we do see some of the streets and, and whatnot, but our main locations are, uh, Jody and Mike's house, uh, the cemetery and a mausoleum and the mausoleum at the cemetery. Yeah. And, uh, a couple of streets. There's always streets because there's always a car chase in every <laughs> single one of these pretty much. And it's a surreal world that is informed by Invaders from Mars. Invaders from Mars. He saw them land from outer space. He saw them capture innocent people only to destroy. Which is a movie about a kid who nobody believes uh, that the aliens are coming and he's losing people. People are, he's literally, he's either losing people through death or through possession by the aliens through an implant in their back. And apparently this movie really was an influence on the film. It's told from his point of view in a lot of ways. He does not understand adulthood. He's a little freaked out by things that aren't even horror. Uh, his brother trying to get laid at one point and things like that. Everything freaks him out a little bit or gets him excited or whatever. So it's a very kids-oriented point of view in a horror movie, which is... Weird mm. for a hardcore horror film. Not something like uh, The Gate, you know, The Lost Boys, where you had the two kids added heavily into the movie and it's like kind of jerky, you know. Um, and, he's, and he's a real teenager. He's not like a Fright Night teenager or anything like that. He's a kid. Uh, I actually think Mike's a really good actor in this first one. People really don't like his performance. It's no. weird. Even the people who support him <laughs> don't really... They make fun of the acting. And I'm like, I think he's really good amateur kid actor in this one. He's... I think everybody's actually really fine. Oh, yeah. Which is strange because, except for Reggie, the acting falls down a black hole over time. Uh, these people don't really get used to the camera. They don't appear that often. Reggie becomes an actor in a few things. So, yeah, and Reggie is not in the film as much as I remembered. No, not at all in the first one. He is gone from the middle. And uh, he just appear he appears in a few key scenes. And Reggie helps set up the friendship and the small town stuff, which I really like. I, as much as I don't really like his guitar playing, like they, <laughs> him and Jody get together and play music, I like those scenes a lot. Right. I'm just a sitting here at midnight. And I've been sitting here till the 
I think really plot wise, Jody is uh, Mike is following Jody around. He doesn't. He literally doesn't want him. He doesn't want him to go, and he doesn't want to lose him. I mean, he's following him around like a dog, literally. And is that how we get the first like horror element, other than the murder? I think he follows him to the cemetery because he gets picked up by this. Jody gets picked up by the well, lady in lavender. Well, the thing the thing is, we have the funeral of a right. friend. Mike is. You know, he's he's, he's fine. One of the things he does is he hides in a lot of bushes. Yes. To see what's going on. Sure. He's a, yeah, he's a peeping Tom. Right. And there's <laughs> there's the scene where he see you see the tall man pick up Yeah, he sees the he's the tall man so we get the tall man, who is Angus Scrim, obviously, famously, who is a imposing, pale, tight mouthed, he doesn't really speak, tall mortician. Yeah. Which a mortician is just I don't remember a mortician character like this. I mean, he's just kind of singular and really imposing and it looks great. There's a reason he's a cult favorite. And he picks yeah, he picks up the guy's uh entire coffin by himself and throws it in the back of yeah. the And I, it's a really cool moment for a couple of reasons because one, this is something that's a that's a mainstay in the series. The tall man works a lot. <laughs> I don't think we ever have seen a, a villain <laughs> Okay, not even the guy who makes all the puppet master things or the demonic. T- they they build that shit and they're done. Well, Leatherface, you know, he might make meat for the right. family to cook. Right. But he's yeah. You we think- don't see him bringing it in, working on it, looking around to see if he's. Does the tall man have a secretary or an assistant? No, nope. no, nope. he doesn't have. In fact, he's really understaffed in the first couple of movies, and then he's overstaffed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, he really. It's like he goes on a fucking hiring spree because, like, maybe he got you know he made some money off that GameStop thing, and he just hires. I'll bring it all and bring spaceships in the first fucking movie. He's going around telling people the funeral's about to begin. He's going outside and loading coffins into the car, which doesn't really make sense exactly. Well, I, I guess. And you get the idea that he's fucking digging graves and making appointments. And they show him later walking around town. I'm like, what was he doing in town? He was probably, what he, the fuck was he doing in town? He had to buy socks. Yeah, I guess so, right? But I mean, why would he ever interact with people? It's So it's very weird. So yes, the tall man is caught in... He's not killing anybody. He's not hiding up a crime. He's performing a superhuman feat of strength while being an actual mortician, it looks like. So Mike is freaking out. As as we are, because we're like, what the fuck's going on here? It's just a really weird scene. Right. And it's really cool, even if the, it looks like there's nothing in the casket. But it establishes the tall man beautifully. It's dream logic, and it's voyeurism, like a dream. And Mike... I think Mike goes home and starts going, oh, there's a boogeyman, there's a dude, and he's picking up coffins. And for the rest of the movie, until a certain point, nobody believes him. And hes I think he follows... Oh, can you talk a little bit about the... Okay, the weirdest scene possibly in the movie? The Dune scene? No. Okay. The the fortune teller. Yeah, that's what I mean. Oh, it's I'm sorry. Dune. Oh, is it? Oh, the yes. box. You're right. It yeah. is. I'm not familiar. I'm not super familiar with Dune. Yeah. Right. So, so this they, scene is bizarre. Yeah. And it's probably when you when I first think of how Phantasm makes no sense, I think this is the scene that I always exactly. Think of. Well, this is the scene where you really go, "What the fuck is going on in this movie?" Exactly. And you have no idea where the movie can go. It's a, you, it's an outlier scene. Right. So uh, it's so, early on. I think it's after the funeral, and he. This is where we first find out that he's. Worried about Mike, about Jody. Sorry, 
Right, and he goes to, so Mike goes to this fortune teller lady and who has her a daughter. You get the idea that... daughter, rather. You get the idea that he knows her. Yeah. The granddaughter. And I guess he's been there before. And he goes in and he's presented with a box. And it's like, it's, it's from Dune. It's a test that... Uh, Paul Atreides takes, you know, right. he has to put his hand into this box and, you know. You see this? Put your right hand in the box. What's in the box? Pain. Stop. Put your hand in the box. Put your hand in the box. Well, what's in it? Just put your hand in the black box. Okay, but what's in it? Hey, this thing really hurts. Don't fear, Michael. I can't get my hand out. Don't fear. Give me back my hand. Don't fear. It was simply reflection. Fear is the killer. That's what grandmother wants you to learn. And right this here. one's about fear. Yeah. Don't fear, Michael. And the is the, is the grandmother blind? It appears she, she is. appears to be. Yeah. And so and the do- the granddaughter has stars like gold stars stuck on her head, <laughs> like she just got out of a glue and glitter project. It makes no sense. I've never seen that before. But but he goes into their house, and yeah, their grandma's a fortune teller who doesn't talk. I don't. I think she does all the talking to the grandmother. So that's interesting. You know what I mean? The choices are interesting to, to make things weird. Well, here's the thing. It, it compounds because the box disappears right in front of us. The box is never explained. Grandma is never explained. But to me, the creepiest part of the scene is how it ends. If you remember, Michael sort of feels like he gets the point. Basically, some... You know, new age bullshit. Don't be afraid. It's all in your mind. He pays them and he leaves. And the grandmother starts laughing. (laughs) That's the fucking creepy. I mean, because we have no idea what the motivation is. Did they rip him off? Was that was that a magic trick? Was it real occult weirdness? Does Michael realize what the hell happened? And why does the old lady seem to laugh at him as if she's putting him down like she suckered him we'll never know no unless coscarelli says but i mean the thing is in the first movie a lot of the stuff is literally face value there's no world building they didn't know what they were doing they didn't care no i mean they cared about what they were doing but they didn't sit there and go we know what everything is this scene does this it was just weird right and and i think the problems that exist, especially when they try to continue the series after two, happens because they're trying to piece together some logic in a film. But, Phantasm, the first film, it is a dream. Yeah. Because it, it, it literally is a dream, not really. Unless, but the thing is, you can, you can, you can make any argument about right. it that you want. So the thing is, you have... Especially in the later films when they try... Trying to make sense of a dream is a mugs game. You, you have weird devices, you know, we're going to have the, the spheres. You're, you, you have a science fiction element. Mm, right. 
you have it, no, it was all a dream. The thing is, that's the thing. It, it doesn't have to make sense. If it's a dream, it doesn't have to make sense. Hey, I'm walking down the street and a UFO picked me up and it brought me to McDonald's. And it's like, well, that doesn't make any fucking sense, but it doesn't have to. Is that what happens in Mac and me? Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. I can't go near that fucking thing. <laughs> Mac and me. <laughs> well, the, the other thing is that... Um, I mean, I realize that we, you know, I'm not good at going through something in a linear fashion. It's a, it's a big reason why people do not like the franchise. And it's funny how much um, negative, anecdotally, I found a lot of negative opinions of, of the Phantasm franchise, seemingly from younger viewers, from people who didn't grow up on this or, you know, it's just... And you got to wonder sometimes if somebody watches Phantasm and goes, that's stupid, it didn't make any sense, and then puts on Inferno and loves the shit out well, of it. Well, here's or a question for you. Whatever. I mean, you, you've talked about a lot how kind of bizarro, mm-hmm. you know, you, you had trouble with a lot of Italian films sure. because they're not linear, they're not stories. They're, they're not worried of, about... They don't care. Yeah. Spe- but uh, yeah. What, why did that not bother you with Phantasm? Because Phantasm just pushed my buttons, you know. Mm. It just, it just did. I mean, I was bothered by the ending of Phantasm, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, but the fact was, Phantasm really presented itself as wrong from the beginning, mm. uh, and that's why it worked for me in a way that a lot of the Italian movies that I had seen, they were presenting a lot of real life situations, and then they went Gonzo, you know, like Deep Red. When I first saw it, I couldn't make... I also saw a terrible print of it, and it was dubbed. And a lot of the virtues... You see, if I had seen Deep Red the way that I saw it the last time, and it was a beautiful print, I would have at least been able to go, this is gorgeous, mm. this is moody and yeah. atmosphere. It's it's scary. Uh, instead of it being... It just came off as unintentionally hilarious. And Phantasm is so weird. Mm. And at the same time, I, I, a lot of people who don't like Phantasm, I bet, love Twin Peaks and love Mulholland Drive, which I have not seen. But I like a lot of David Lynch stuff, too. If, I'm, if I know that I'm in for a mind fuck, I'm okay with it, you know, usually. And Phantasm just was... I also enjoy it more when it's horror rather than thriller or, or crime okay. with some horror elements. This is balls-out horror. It's just nuts. But I find it, I think it's very inventive. And yes, a lot of the effects do not work. They didn't work even in the day. But a lot of the effects are fantastic. The imagery is is great. And the fact that they don't explain anything. They don't even try to explain. I mean, even giallos try to explain things. They'll say, well, you had fly. You, I saw four flies. And my there's a, a thing on your eyeball, on your retina, or this and that. Phantasm never has an explanation other than you were dreaming, Michael. Right. You were dreaming. But you're not. Maybe. So Michael goes to the fortune teller. Michael chases, uh, follows Jordy around town. He gets picked up in the same bar by the same woman. And Jody is taken to the cemetery. I think Mike is watching them from the bushes again. And is this where we get the first introduction of dwarves? Do we hear them? Or do they grab Mike? I have to be very honest with yeah, you. Yeah, you haven't as seen many it times, As many yeah. times as I've seen this film, it's, it's very hard I gotta for me tell to you, remember the... I just watched it a little while ago, and it is a film that floats through. I mean, it is a film where it melds, especially because a lot of the imagery and a lot of these things are duplicated in the later films. Also, they go back and flashback to these things in, later, in the later films. 
uh, to a ridiculous point in four. <laughs> where does the scene come in where uh, Mike is driving around on his motorbike, his dirt bike, and he goes into the cemetery and the tall man looks at him and he, his bike crashes? <laughs> yeah, right. Which is actually a really weird scene. Yeah, he yeah. just basically knocks him over with the power of looking. Yeah. And it's done in a way that's the music hits. There's a weird beat and he just goes off his motorcycle. And I think he bitches, he goes home and bitches about the tall man. And at that point, though, there's nothing. We know something's weird. They don't. Or they haven't figured it out. But he inadvertently saves Jody from the Lady in Lavender. And Jody's pissed at him, I think, at this point. And I think this is where we get Mike gets pissed off and decides to investigate the mortuary by himself. Which is where the movie basically right. goes into overdrive. Right. And, and shit it, hits the fan. Right. It's, it's, it's those images you think of him running through the hallways of a... Those, of a yeah. That of balls hitting people in the head and the ball, blood. The ball... So, so Mike goes into this mortuary through a broken window. And the thing is, it's ballsy and it's stupid of him to be doing this, but you can buy it. Between the dream logic, between his anger and his... You get a really great sense of this poor kid not knowing what to do with his life, what to do with his feelings... Um, he's looking for something and he goes looking in the mortuary I'm not exactly sure what he wants to do I don't know if he wants to just spy on he's freaked out by this tall guy he knows something's up he's freaked out he saw him be Superman and he saw him knock him off his bike with his eyeballs or something like that and when he goes in here I love this scene uh, he goes in there's that really creepy I mean the iconography of Phantasm just works for me as cheap as you, I mean, you read about how they made the halls of the mortuary, that they're sets. They made like one set and kept moving around. I mean, it just, it, I think the sphere shows up first. There's a, there's a thing called, actually, they call them balls. They don't really call them spheres in the movies. That, I was, I was surprised by that. Um, but, and then eventually they call them sentinels. Yeah. Which is, just call them spheres for fuck's sake. <laughs> Everybody calls them spheres. This gleaming silver sphere flies through, the, and you get to see it from its point of view with predator vision, which is creepy. It's all in red. And you can see the reflection of the mortuary against the ball. And this just becomes one of the biggest icon images. And he evades it. And then I think we see the tall man really come at him. The tall man calls him boy and comes after him. And here's where basically the entire franchise starts in a lot of ways. Yeah. The tall man is walking down the corridors after Mike. He's booming his voice at him. Mike runs away, slams the door on his hand. And the tall man's fingers are drumming, which is a very funny and creepy moment. Uh, three of his fingers or one of his... Some of his fingers are held there. And uh, Mike either cuts them off or they fall... Mike takes a finger to prove that the tall man exists. There's yellow gook coming out. Right, of he's he has mustardy blood. He has mustardy, custardy blood. Custardy yeah. is better. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. And there's an amazingly creepy scene after that 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 is so simple but works for me every time. The camera tracks backwards with Mike safe from the tall man with the closed door, and he's booking out of there to get to the window. And the scene never changes, but in the background there's movement, and you hear things, and he starts running because the, there's these dwarves behind him, which look like Jawas. Right. Which is disconcerting because you can't help but think of them as Jawas. 
They're, right. they're, they're, they're little people in and kids in brown robes. We never see their faces. We just hear their strange vo- alien voices. It's great nightmare image and it's great logic because they come out of the shadows, literally. You don't know where the hell they came from. They're not in the scene originally. The darkness and the shadows hides them as they start chasing him and it all happens in camera on shot. And it's just swell. Mm. And uh, he escapes. So now we've got the balls, the dwarves, the tall man. They take the finger home. And this is where the movie, I think, loses a few people. Well, yeah. The next scene. So, yeah. So he, he, he wants to prove that, the, that there's something going on. So he wants to show his brother Jody. And he has the finger in a little box. Yeah. And it opens, and the finger's moving with yeah. the custard, and it's very... It's actually a funny scene. It looks like shit, but Jody goes, I believe you. <laughs> yeah. it, it basically, it's a really cute kind of way to handle this type of scene. A little um, ring box, like actual box, not like a padded one. And the finger's moving, and Jody goes, I believe you. And he makes him close. And it's a really <laughs> cute bit of business. And right. from then on, what's great about the movie is from then on there, he's got his ally. His right. brother is his ally. And he doesn't have to keep saying, nobody believes me. Mm. Right. And then I think they show it to Reggie. <laughs> Reggie re-enters the movie, and he looks like he walked in from a pot party. He's, like, <laughs> he's just like, dip it, dip it, and he's always, he's, it's like so funny. I never remembered that he was not in the movie for a big stretch of time. And he disappears for long stretches of time. And he walks in, and then they go, oh, we got something. <laughs> we got to show you this. And this is the scene that I think divides people on the movie. I really do. Yeah. So they open the box, and what, is the finger in there? No, it's it's a it's it's a weird flyy. It's a thing. It's, it's a bug. Like it's a big. It's fuzzy, kind of like a fuzzy Zanti misfit with yeah. wings. Yeah, but it's small. Right, and it makes buzzing noises and starts wrecking the room. Oh yeah, it, like a bastard. It, everybody who the the bug attacks you, and everybody has to do the old style acting of throwing themselves around. With the monster, because the monster is inanimate, and they and the bug looks very fake. And the bug is one of those things that either you find cool and creepy, or I've seen a lot of people just shut out of it. This shoots them out of the movie because the bug is. I love it. Yeah, oh, I yeah. love it. It works for me. I got this finger off this guy. It's a bug, <laughs> and the bug is super strong. It's throwing them around. If you like, you know, Mike's got it in his hair, and he's throwing himself around the kitchen. Then Jody's got it, and they're trying to get rid of it. They put it in the, uh, uh, they put it down the um, garbage disposal, which everybody seemed to have. Yeah. Back in the day, I had never seen one in my life. No, I wish I had one now. I wanted one too. I want to put, you know, things in it. Yeah, I want to put five in it. <laughs> but then I think Reggie gets knocked around by it too. I mean, it's an insane scene. Yeah. Um, and some people laugh at it, and it really does knock them out of the movie. But to me, it's another. It's like, they don't go. Why did that become a bug? Right. Nobody, why is that blood yellow? Nobody asks the pertinent questions. But here's the other thing. They don't waste time. Very little time is wasted on people arguing, you know? Right. Jody, you... Jody's thinking with his dick for a long part of the movie, and he's mad at his brother. But that's different than, oh, come on. What are you talking about, ghosts? Right. And, and, and having to explain shit. They either don't believe, and then they believe. Right. And they have to because the fucking finger's a bug. <laughs> and then Jody goes, I'll, I think Jody says, I'll check this out. Jody goes off to figure things out. He takes his shotgun. He, they lock Mike into his room. 
So he doesn't get near. So he doesn't get out. And then there's a really weird sequence where we see Mike figuring out a way to get out of his room with a shotgun shell, a nail, and a hammer. Right. Kind of neat. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a scene you don't expect. It shows his ingenuity. You get an idea that messes around with stuff when he's got nothing to do, you know? And I really like that scene. It's a, it's a, plus, they look like they blow up something next to it. It's a dangerous-looking oh, film sure. in a lot of ways for, for, for the poor kid. Without going into it too far, you really do get a good sense of the fact that these are two young guys who have been on their own and don't really, didn't really grow up by the rules. You know, they've kind of got their weird life going. And Mike, I wouldn't have been surprised if he was smoking cigarettes. They're really like bachelors on their own. So... Mike is a resourceful guy, and he drives the car, and Jody's not like, you know, where the fuck did you, what are you doing in my car? Like, a lot of movies would be going for these time-filling, empty air scenes. And this movie just goes and has its first car chase, and the tall man is apparently killed, or the car is flipped over or something. I can't remember now. Weird shit keeps going on, and then the movie flips on itself it goes back to the mortuary uh, we get to see the first time the sphere kills somebody it kills a, a guard that works for the tall man i want to talk about there's a scene where they dump mike off this is a weird scene mike is taken to an antique shop in this in town i think there's also some scenes cut well there definitely are some scenes oh, yes. cut as we learn later but mike is taken by jody or reggie and he's taken to an antique shop where he finds a picture of a guy that looks like the tall man in Victorian dress uh, on a horse and cart. And he's wearing a tall top hat and kind of looks like a mortician. And it moves. Yeah. And this is another what the fuck moment. Right. Which doesn't seem to have actually had real hooks other than to be weird. Mm. And they drive him. The girls drive him home. The girls are these. I don't know if it's Jody's girlfriend. I, I, there's something weird going on there. And they're attacked. And the girls are like taken out of the... I'm trying to remember the scene now because, it, again, people driving and being attacked by the dwarves and the tall man out of literally nowhere happens in almost every movie. Yeah. And people are... He loves... Coscarelli loves throwing people out of windows. <laughs> yeah. Constantly people are being grabbed inside a, a, a car and thrown out the window or dragged out the window or people burst in from outside the car and drag them out, or they bust out of mirrors, or they bust out of windows. He loves busting windows and people going through them. And the, the girls are killed, apparently, by the dwarves. Anyway, the, the, the whole thing ends up... The, the lady in Lavender, they all, all three of them go to the mortuary, I think. Reggie, Jody, and Mike. Right. Reggie is killed by the lady in Lavender. Right. Who we, does flash to be... Who we I, find out is the tall man, which makes no fucking sense. That's the that's one of the ones to me that just makes absolutely no sense. So this is going to be a, a typical thing going on from now on. The tall man not only is doing his a lot of his mortuary work, we also know he's in the back playing with uh, his interdimensional... It turn, we find out that there's an alien aspect to this. Right. 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 Mike, they go inside the mortuary and find this white room. And and there's these um, dimensional forks. Is that what they call? Yeah, them? they call they them do? the forks. I always call right. them the portals. But right. yeah, so it's these two poles, these right. two shiny poles. And Reggie seems to have a 
a musical affinity for them well, right. or something. He, it, it reminds him of his tuning fork, which we saw them use when they were right. playing music earlier. Right. Which is and, a cute bit. Yeah, and it turns out that through this thing, you could go into another dimension or another world, you could see. Yeah, which they don't a, explain it. Yeah. It's a horrible place where a bunch of, like a line of Jawas are moving these plastic buckets, which happen to be filled with the victims. Yeah, I think these are... We find out that these are the crushed up. I think they find Steve or something like that, or their friend. Mike. They, they, he, they see if yeah. they kind of avoid it because they don't have the effects to do it. Mm. But it's kind of like they have all these trioxin uh, yes. barrels, right, 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 from Return of the Living Dead. And apparently, they've been putting dead people from this graveyard into these things and transporting them into this weird hot world, right? And we Red, and we believe yeah. that, and and I guess that's when we think that. Part of who he's harvesting become Jawas. Yes. Although yeah. it's... there are a lot of other minions that kind of make no sense. In the first them. movie, he's got like, okay, it looks like there's the spheres, there's the Jawa dwarves, who are the crunched up people uh, that are that have been put to re- dead people from the from the area. Um, Generally, it doesn't seem they're killing everyone, though. It just feels like they may have killed... They kill, but it's like... That's the thing. So the tall man is turning into a hot woman, going to bars and picking up victims, then presiding over their funerals, I guess, to make money? I don't know. And then digging them up and crushing them into dwarves to send to this... This is fucking not cost-efficient. This drives me nuts. I, like, I really want him to have a better business plan. The tall man's business plan is so fucked up. I mean, I realize he doesn't have to sleep. We also learned that he's not good with the cold. There is a, there's a, I, I, it's really, it is hard to fucking pin this yeah, down. Yeah, that's one of the things to try, to try to go through this movie. It's like, at what point, because there's a scene yeah. where Mike is, is spying again. Yeah. And the tall man's Walking buying past, socks. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and he sees Reggie. And in his, in his ice cream truck that's open and steam comes out. And the tall man appears to be like, ooh, cold Now, the shit. funny thing is, the first time I saw it, I thought he was getting off on it. He looked like he was... That's sn- what people say. Yeah, he looks like, yeah. like he's actually sniffing yeah. the air and appreciating the cold. Right. But I guess that is a mistake to think that because they do show the hot world. They do show the red Martian-like world that he goes through. It becomes a big thing later on because cold as a weapon against right. The, right. these characters is a big deal. I also thought it was really kind of cool, the guy he was getting off on. He was like Mr. Freeze, you <laughs> yeah. know. But apparently the, the cold dissuaded him. Right. Now, they're in Colorado, I think. Oh, I'm, I, you know, I don't... It's really hard to tell, movie. but I think in the, sec, in the third movie, they get into it. Because so, they all... You remember, they end up moving his base of operations moves until he's in the desert. I don't know why he didn't just go to Arizona. There's a lot of dead people, a lot of people retired, <laughs> dropping dead, but whatever. You can't really question the logic of the first movie because no. it wasn't the point. No, not at all. But the way that they related it to later events, you can. I think that you can, well, you again, can drive a car the, through that's that. The, that's the seeds that are the ultimate right. destruction. This is what you have to work with. And the second movie does a pretty good job. Right. Budgets right. and decisions and reality works against them and it just never reaches... The heights of the first movie as a creep fest, and the second movie is an action horror movie. Uh, but basically, eventually, what happens is uh, J- Jody. You know, I can't even remember the fucking end. Reggie is definitely. They get out well, of that one room. Well, uh, yeah, and eventually, there's this out of nowhere. They want to lead 
the tall man right but i'm trying to, to remember mine shaft what happens to fall in and there's some we should talk about the music because the music is well that's terrific. one of the as things as tinny as the music is and people complain about it it's terrific right that's the thing you the know, use of sound I, is I fantastic i think that's the un you know people don't talk about how good the soundtrack i yeah. think in phantasm is. i think it's fantastic it's funny how so yeah. many classic films yeah. have great soundtracks it really is how, well they understood that movie that movie you know whether they understood it or they were emulating halloween which he was, uh, and an exorcist, you know, that the, the mem those memorable themes, it's interesting. I think we talked about that in Friday the 15th episode, the last episode. A lot of these franchises have a soundtrack that you could immediately right. connect to. Halloween, Phantasm, uh, The Fog, Exorcist, Friday the 13th. The music almost becomes a character. Mm. And the music is, is incredibly important. But there's also interesting... I mean, this is a lo-fi movie, if you know what I mean. This is a this is a this is a garage band kind of movie. It's got a lot of rough edges. The music is done on very very tinny uh, equipment. People people who are really into music seem to really have problems with it. I don't. I don't yeah. care if it's effective. I'm happy. The theme is great, and the actual music throughout the movie. It's good dream music. It's yeah. good horror music, and I really like the way the sound works when they get into the white room that has the transporter to the other world. It's like they cut all the music, they cut to silence. There's these weird sound effects, and all you hear is, oh, that's right. They Reggie triggers it and the barrels start getting pulled. He yeah, basically turns the thing on yeah. and the barrels start and I love the idea that how that room works, that they just basically shut the door. <laughs> you know, that they close it, they go out, and they just let the room be emptied into this other planet. It's pretty wild. It makes no sense, but as like I said, as a business venture, the idea of going to this small town and raiding their dead and killing a few people to make an army of dwarves for whatever use, there's got to be a better way. Right. There has got to be a, a better way. Uh, the, the, I think the tall man, there's a scam going on. It's a cocaine front or something like that. <laughs> I think he's definitely dealing. And it's one of maybe he's always got one eye closed and he always looks a little bit like he just like... <laughs> <laughs> I think the tall man's been doing some tall lines. <laughs> So yeah, uh, they beat the, they they get out of the mortuary, which I think does it go on fire or blow up? They always seem to, but whatever the fuck. Right. It, it, I Reggie think, is. Don't they do something that it makes them? It actually disappears. Some strange bullshit. Yeah. But Reggie is definitely killed. Reggie is stabbed by the lavender lady, and it turns out the tall man tur is yeah turns into this woman, and then actually has sex with these men. If you're into it, that's fine. But it just seems a strange movie device, right? On the right. face of it, that. Uh, usually when you do that, when you, if you do a badger game, you don't go through with any of the, you right. know, usually don't let anybody touch you much. Now that's clearly exploitation B movie stuff. We got to get a pair of breasts in there, blah, blah, blah. There, women, here's, here's another thing. Female characters, women characters in the, in the Phantasm series do not fare well. Right. Coscare except for one. Except for one. Well, except for, are you thinking of Rocky? Yes. Yeah. But otherwise... Even if they're interestingly written characters, at the end of almost every Phantasm film, I'm pissed off uh, <laughs> after one. After, after Yeah, even with two. Y yeah, there's there's a problem there that I don't understand. Right. I don't quite understand. Right. In Coscarelli's films. He is, seems very uncomfortable writing or presenting women as anything other than a gimmick. Uh, so, yeah, the um, the movie ends with the mortuary disappears in some 70s laser effect reggie is dead 
Mike Lee. The ending is not incredibly satisfying. Well, this part of it because because the very the, 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 the defeating of the tall man here is to is to trick him into fall into a hole. Yeah, they they are, he you could it feels the movie feels like it was painted into a corner. They did not know what to do. Like I've always felt they needed I, a physical ending because right. they didn't want him to just die inside the mortuary or whatever or. But yeah, the ending, it feels, I like the idea of it because it feels like a fable, the very end. It just isn't. Right. I also feel that the editing and the way it works makes you feel like I'm missing part of that movie. Something feels like it's missing from that. Yeah. Or it isn't covered. Yeah. There's not enough coverage. or it, Right. Well, it, seems it, does, very... it feels tacked on. And it's also hard to tell from later movies when they show cut footage exactly where some things fit in. Right. Because the scenes from four that they show seem to use some of the scenes from the ending of the first movie. That's right. Jody helps him. Jody is up on top of the rocks. And Jody has pushed down all these rocks, I think, into the hole. The rocks are very Star Trek boulder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the tall man looks like he could probably push his way out of there. And this is where we get into another problem with the series that really gets bad over time. Is what are the tall man's stats? You know, what are his game stats? What is his power levels? What are his abilities? In the first movie, he's clearly got a Lovecraftian science fiction horror kind of character thing where he can regenerate parts. He's super strong. Um, he seems to have some control over the spheres and the dwarves without having to talk to them or whatnot, or at least communication. But it's all done in a dream, so you buy it. And if you feel like he can lift those boulders to get the fuck out, whatever. Because we get the actual end of the movie, which right. I'll hand over to you. Well, th then, this is... This, this is, is the part that did throw me right, out of the and, movie. And, and honestly, it does. First time I saw we, it. We have Mike waking up and we're told everything we've seen before is a dream. Yeah. And that Jody died in an accident... And Reggie has been taken care of and him. And Reggie has been taken Reggie lives with him. Right. Yeah. I actually didn't even understand what was going on the first time I saw it. I was just... I didn't have time to watch it and think about it at the same time. And I was completely screwed up. Right. Then it doesn't end there because... They decide to hit the road. Mike goes upstairs. Great scene. Yeah. Even if it's confusing because you're... Your point of reference is completely blown. Right. You do not know what you're watching or why you're watching. You know there's going to be a, a goof. Because you know horror movies, even in 1979, you're like, okay, what's going on here? Right. Um, Mike goes upstairs. He opens up a, a cabinet door, a, a dresser or bureau. The mirror shows the tall man. He says, boy, and Mike is grabbed by something bursting through the yeah, mirror. something bursting. And that's the end of your movie. Yeah. Uh, three people fought, fight the tall man and his army of weird, shrunken slaves who steal bodies. And... Uh, he's from another planet or is serving another planet, you have no real idea of what the hell just happened. Right, right. It's, it's, and either you just watched the dream or a dream within a dream. Right. Or it was a basic, we don't give a flying fuck. Right, because... Here's the, your movie. Right, because the Enjoy. problem is it is a dream, but it wasn't a dream and it is a dream in that. And so. I, found it, I found the ending unsatisfying because, you know, I have that real... I'm uptight about the... If characters go through this, this, and this... I don't like seeing characters drag through the mud for an hour and a half and then they don't make it anyway. Right. Uh, it just, or they couldn't have made it anyway, which is even worse. Right. So that's the thing. The, it, you have the dream logic of none of this mattered. Now, I shouldn't be bothered by that, if you know what I'm saying. It's like, it's like as I got older, being able to be getting into giallos much later on and to be able to ride with a film that makes 
less sense purposefully. If a film's not trying to make a lot of sense and it works, it's a phantasm type movie. You just had a good time. It, but but, the, but I didn't like seeing... First, Jody gets killed for real. And Reggie lives. And you're like, why? And it, then Mike is killed. And I was like, it leaves you with a weird aftertaste. The first film being, well, it makes no sense because it's not supposed to make sense. Right. That's fine. But they, that's not what they do in the second film. And the thing is about, again, real quick on the first one, it's a really ambitious little film. Right. Considering that there's very few characters... And um, which a lot of these films also are Texas Chainsaw, Halloween, Night of the Living Dead. But they weren't the old films. You could have a smaller cast, but they weren't afraid of locations. They wanted to show things, even if, generally. Yeah, even generally. though you were saying there wasn't a lot of things, there was a lot of things to look at in this movie. They weren't all just walking well, that's around what's, a house. Yeah, and they certainly came up with a lot of things that were worth bringing back. For the rest of the series, or at least partially the rest of the series, the tall man, the graves, um, the uh, the room with the uh, portal, the sh- the dwarves, the dwarves in the caskets, um, the spheres, uh, the mausoleum interiors, the dream sequences. There's just a lot, and then the, the tall man himself, and then Reggie in his ice cream outfit, right. which is just kind of funny. Um, it's just such a weird group of. You know, even the old lady, who uh, the the grandmother, who I did not remember comes back yeah, for a no-sense cameo yeah. uh, later on. But, yeah, it, and the music. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. That is a hell of a lot. You can make a lot of drawings of T-shirts based on this movie if you <laughs> want to. Phantasm 2, which I think is just called Phantasm 2? Uh, yes, I think it is just has that And it name. takes a while for them to make this, even though the first Phantasm film made good money. Yeah, it was... It was I think uh, it was $300,000 for the first one, I believe. And it looks really good for that money in a small, basically regional film. And two... When does two? two two's happen? nine years later. Two, That's two's a long fucking time. Uh, nine years, wow. Yeah. This is notorious because the studio came in and made demand. They, right, he got. This is the only movie that got made at a major at a, at a major studio. This is based on the first film. It's weird that he didn't. What did he make? Like Beastmaster in between these or something like that. Yeah, I've never seen that. I know. Yeah, Beastmaster is a lot of fun. So, he's making the sequel and he's getting the offer of real money. This is the most expensive film in the series. But yeah, they. I forget. They put him. They basically tests were, for a few of the actors. Yeah, they didn't. From what I understand they didn't want the same actor for mike and they didn't want the same actor for reggie right and eventually they told him like he could get one so he picked reggie over the kid right so now we have a new actor playing mike i mean it makes sense when you think about it because reggie is looks like an adult in the first movie and he's got a very specific look and also they had worked together i think they were friends too yeah and they had worked together on a couple of things Mike could look like almost anything, I mean, to be right. honest. Yeah, so they hire James LaGrosse. Right. Who... I think is better. Here's a weird thing. It's amazing to me that the hiring of a different actor to play the kid from the first movie in a second movie has caused such a mini controversy mm. or major controversy. Oh, I yeah. There's a lot of people who really hate this movie, and it seems that they cannot get past the idea that they got a different actor. This has never made sense to me. I don't... Nothing against the person who played Mike. But uh, as we see in the later movies when he comes back, he's not a good adult actor. Right. He's actually distractingly not good. Now, 
Jody is not in this movie. I don't know why. Either they didn't have a reason for him to be in it or they wanted to maintain the... Oh, because they wanted to maintain the ending of the last... It goes off the end... It literally goes off the very, very end of the first movie right. and establishes a, another beat that it likes to do. A, right. a crazy and, ending goes into the next movie. Right, and, and that's where I think it amazes me that this film succeeds as it does because it then tries to create a real story you could almost follow. Because it opens up with, with Reggie seeing Mike getting pulled away and he stops it and it's a literal continuation. Now, I got very... I got Okay, I got very confused the first time I watched 2 because it was very hard to figure out what was going on because they continue it exactly from 1 but then they stop and go a few months later. That's what freak... That, yeah. There's actually two similar sequences that I conflate a lot. I, I see one of the things about this movie that works really well is that in some ways it's funny also because a lot of people go, well, it does a lot of the things that the first movie did and blah, blah. Well, what do you expect? Number one. Number two, you loved it in Evil Dead 2 when they basically added more money and better camera work and effects to the same plot. Right. You know what I mean? Give, give, give me a break. Especially when two really does open it up more. When I say that I prefer two to one, yeah. people have asked me why, and it's because they do world building in the second one that if they were to continue to make films, I want to see yeah. what that world is. Well, like. here's the funny thing. When I watched one and two, and I watched them together, I believe, not the smartest person in the room, but I was very happy to look into it and go, well, yeah, the first movie really is like Invaders from Mars. Now, this is something that I should have realized years earlier, but the second movie... I had just listened to the Salem's Lot BBC adaptation, okay. on the, uh, the radio adaptation, so it was fresh in my mind. And it's a seven-part. I really like it a lot. You can find it on YouTube. Now, at the, at the end of Salem's Lot is the setup for Phantasm Two, <clears throat> and he, Coscarelli, has said that that was the okay. uh, inspiration. Uh, an adult and a boy who survived the events of a story go out to hunt down the rest of the bastards. And that's what you get into. They've lost everybody. They've lost parents. They've lost girlfriends. And that's what, you know, what if we followed Ben and the kid from Salem's Lot as they became vampire hunters? That's what we get here. Yeah. I mean, and it's done well. The end of one is actually crazy because I mean, Mike was pulled through a mirror or something. Like, they have to fudge it it's, a little it, bit. It's through, it's through glass of some sort. Yeah. And then Reggie does hear what's going on upstairs, which means that we are now in literal reality. Right. The dream of the first movie didn't happen. Maybe. Because at this point, you can't really say anything for sure. When you have a movie that people wake up and think are dreams, and then you have other dimensions and things like that, you can never say what's objective reality in the Phantasm sequence. They, if they wanted to, they could get away with saying none of this happened. Well, I think, I think the you point know. is somehow it all happened. That's but what's can't, that's what's weird. But you can't yeah. really. You could, if you wanted to make the comic book version of this, you could say that Mike was in a dream dimension, which is where this all happened, because they literally do bring in the idea that there are tall men in every in tons of dimensions in the fifth movie. Right. Bad idea, but whatever. Right. Uh, so anything goes, but it. But if you take this as literal truth, Phantasm Two is the beginning of the whole series. Yeah. In a in a way, right. the last five minutes of Phantasm. And then Phantasm 2, and then everything really begins. Reggie saves Mike, who's now James LaGrosse. Right. But they, they do a good job of fudging it and shooting it right. so that you don't get great shots of anybody. They match the house pretty well. 
The dwarves, all of a sudden, we can see their faces because they have a budget (laughs) to make them little ugly (laughs) bastards. So now they're like Jawas, really angry, ugly Jawas who, like, their robots got stolen and their sand crawler got heisted. And the sequence is actually really good. It's a almost Buster Keaton-like use of Jackie Chan lights, use of space, violence, window breaking. And they use the weird ingenuity that Mike showed in using the shotgun shell to get out of his room. Reggie, I think, uses the oven and he he blows the house up. Yeah, he blows the house up. As they jump out or something like that. And the uh, tall man is shown objectively being outside when this happens and being surprised by it. He was expecting his dwarves to just grab Mike. Now, I don't know why they didn't take Reggie. Maybe they were going to. I don't know. What the fuck? And then I always forgot that there's a break then. The movie does stop and start again. I also got confused the first time I saw it. Right, because... Are we up, because we now see that Mike's in a... Mike's in a hospital uh, for his in, injuries and his in, mental... Right, he's been in an right. institution And for he got like, better looking. Right, he for like, I don't know, six or seven six, years. He, I don't think it's that long, but whatever the difference is between Michael Baldwin and uh, James LaGrosse right. is pretty much what you get. Yeah, a, right, a so number Mike's, of years. So Mike's an adult now, and he's being released. Right, to, and, to Reggie. And Reggie picks him up. I completely forgot at this point, because they mentioned in a later movie... And this is a fault of the movies. This is a fault of three through five again. And in some ways, th- uh, two uh, is the we forget our dead. Except yeah. for Jody. Yeah. Um, this is the Star Trek. I have a brother. Did you know I had a brother? <laughs> no. Uh, Captain Kirk. I didn't know you had your brother. Yeah, I have a brother. Let's go visit him. Oh, he's dead. Never right. mention him again. Right. And Reggie comes home with him to meet his I did not remember. Wife and child. But I don't know if that's specifically... It's... it's it, no, it I know it's, the, it's said in, yeah. the, in the fifth film. Yes. But I don't know if it's specifically uh, yeah. laid out in the second film that he has a wife and a daughter. I think it is, that he has a family. Well, that, it's, he has I, a family. Right. It's now definitely that, he has a family. I never thought of that as him being married and with a kid. I always thought that was like, you know, he was taking him back to, you know, the folks or something. Right. It's not a terrible thing in the second movie. Although... Reggie does seem to forget them pretty quick and become Mr. Horndog Joke character over the next few movies. Right. Which... Well, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if it was specifically supposed right. to be a wife and kid. But it really yeah. was surprising to me to watch the fifth one, I guess it was. And yeah. he goes, oh, my wife, and, my, my wife and daughter. And I'm sitting there going, I just watched three of them in a row. I right. did not know you had a wife and right. daughter. Because as he's... I just watched two of them. Yeah. Right. As he's driving Mike to the house... The house blows up. His house blows up. And now he has a reason to go on the road right. in revenge. Now, this doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense when you think about it a little too long. But two does allow you to think about things because it's more literal than the first movie. Why does the tall man wait this many years to do anything for funding for the second for movie. funding for the second movie of course all these movies that's the answer with the movie. <laughs> yeah. why didn't x happen we couldn't make the movie until now right so the tall man blows up his house to show him because it was the perfect time to get his two enemies together so they could go on the road but he doesn't blow them up <laughs> nor does he seem to use his powers of whatever the hell so he's been killing people for the for a number of years that we figure out we we, we assume because well, we, basically we get the salem's lot movie starting this is some one of my favorite things in the whole series, is uh, a scene that we see in a lot of movies. Maybe we even saw it before this, but it's the uh, it's the scene in any game of Call of Cthulhu or or horror role playing game where you go to the store and you 
the editing and the cinematography on Phantasm 2 is terrific. Uh, the music works. It's not incredibly memorable. They punch up the theme with some real equipment and stuff. Uh, I actually still like the theme from the first movie. You know, it's got that it's got that Halloween loneliness and, right. and, and creepiness. But um, the scene where they start throwing shit into the into the they go to a hardware store and start raiding it, right. and it's well played. Reggie Bannister is terrific in this movie. Yeah, he's just you would never think that he was not an actor. Not that's not a nice thing to say, but there's a lot of problems with the acting in in the later films, and there's some problems in the first one. But I I find the first one has an energy. That I'm able to go. It does not feel like terrible acting to me. That first, if you watch, I watched this movie Iced last night that you've seen. That's terrible acting, right? You know, uh, Ed Wood is terrible acting. I don't understand people who really carp on the acting in in one. I think it's very genuine. I think the the character relationships are really well done, and I think they read the lines. I mean, you know, well, comparing it to to. Evil Dead again, it's like Evil Dead Two. Bruce Campbell's advanced. He's yes. Yes, you know, he's and not charming. everybody in that movie is advanced. Yeah, uh, not everybody in two is great, mm. uh, but there's a there's a cast of professional actors, and the actors that he's using from the first film, Angus Scrim is a professional actor by that point who's been doing other stuff, and James LaGrosse I think is terrific in this. I think he's yeah. fine. I think Reggie being so good in this is why Reggie ends up becoming our point man, right? Uh, not just availability in the way, weird way that the film gets made, but he becomes a stronger character as an adult than Mike is. Right. Mike, not as a kid, doesn't have the agency or the, doesn't carry weight. No. Especially when the first two movies are so much about loss. The Mike of, of the second movie is more lonely and sad. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's, he's which kind seems, of... He wants which, to, well, so is the first one, yeah. I but, mean, I mean, yeah. But, but I mean more in a romantic sense yes. than just having a family. So, yeah, there's a haunted quality to Mike in the second movie where in the first one there's a yearning for his brother and for some normalcy in his life some uh, 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 stability mm. the second one he's lost everything right except Reggie he's, his life is done I mean the two of them like no, this is what I like about the scene in the hardware store when they load up they're having a sort of good time but at the same time it's dark it's all black humor they're just kind of like hey look, look at all the cool shit we have and it's a scene that's played for excitement and maybe for laughs but at the same time there is a real this is where the movie changes. This is where uh, they're not just regular people. They, they're regular people who are now condemned to mm. this road life and this empty life. Right. And uh, no family, no friends, uh, no support. Nobody believes them. And they're going to just go kill monsters. And I love when I love the way the scene plays out because it has energy. It's got that, look, we're getting lots of weapons, which everybody loves. Right. He also the, makes his famous four-barrel shotgun. He makes his four-barrel... Reggie which, slaps together his four-barrel shotgun, which, which is kind I of ridiculous. Think, but. Which I also think eventually is something that people will go back to that and fuck that up in later movies. Well, they'll, people will go back to a lot of things in two and one. and yeah, It's Coscarelli, actually. He'll go back to the weapons. He'll go back to the, the shotgun. He'll go back to the Barracuda car the, the weird traps he'll go yeah. back to you know uh but in this movie everything works for me mm. and when he slaps the money down and it's kind of like a break from leaving the small town from leaving that it's just a nice yeah. it's just a nice moment um it's a nice character moment it's a nice motive uh propellant for the next scenes the transitions to the next scenes which are some of my favorite right. well also real quick um mike has a um mike is dreaming about a girl right and i actually love this subplot mm. a lot I think it works, and I think that in the context of 
other movies I'd be bothered by it that all of a sudden he's psychic but it's very very um, limited yeah and the idea that people are first of all dreams are an important part of this movie even if they're not used the way that Nightmare on Elm Street does uh, they don't necessarily connect people in Nightmare where you know Freddy Krueger was invading your dreams and this one it was everything's a dream and there are dreams within dreams like Jody was having dreams right inside Mike's <laughs> dreams if you think about it <laughs> And then Jody wakes up. So Mike is dreaming about somebody having a dream and then waking up who's not himself. It's crazy cheat. But if you if everything's fucked, who cares? Once we get to the second movie, if they fuck with you, it's a cheat. And the whole fifth movie is a cheat. Uh, but he's got a psychic connection with the girl that he's been dreaming of. I don't even know if he knows for sure that she's real. And he's telling Reggie about this. And Reggie's just kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. And... Um, it's a new component that I think is a good addition to changing things a little bit, changing the uh, approach. Well, that's what the whole thing that 2 does. 2 goes, okay, if, if we're going to kind of be more like a real story, what's going on? Right. And we're going to have some... Right. They're like, forced to explain a few things or at least infer a few things. Right. So, so now, yeah, and I think her as a character makes it interesting. It opens up another element yeah having a woman who isn't the tall man in a movie is pretty good <laughs> right right and, and yeah and she's a real good character she's not a sex object which no. becomes a problem in the movies i mean right. look i like looking at naked women as much as the next guy but when you're doing the same joke the same bit with slight variations right. it's it's old right so, so she's we... my favorite she's one of my favorite characters in the movie which is why yeah. 3 rubs me the wrong way right off the bat but whatever uh, so we have the two of them are on the road and is he keeping a journal or is she keeping a journal? She, we, we do meet her. Yeah, I believe she's drawing. She's drawing, and which is a nice way to read. In fact, that's how they reach. That's how they introduce James LaGrosse's character in some ways. The first really good look we get out of his face is in her notebook. Yeah. Which I, it's just a nice throwaway bit of business that works really well. It's a nice transition. It's a nice stepping stone to the new to the new actor, and the idea of a book. I like. It's kind of like it becomes a sacred book in, in the movie, like almost like a Necronomicon or right. a, and, and uh, it, Book it, of the Dead. This feels like a real movie. It really does. And I don't mean that in a bad way because I'm fine with a cheap movie. You know, I love Phantasm. And I think maybe that's why some people don't like it. They don't trust a movie that's a little slick. And I, I'm with them on the whole. But again, we don't have... Nobody really knew who James LaGrosse was at the time. Everybody else in this movie is really not a face that you recognize. Uh, the girl's sister is played by somebody who ends up with a career... James LaGrosse ends up with a career. We know Reggie and Angus Scrimm from very few films. So it still plays out as I'm not being directed by the actor. Actually, none of the films really have actors you've recognized except one person in five, which is a bad idea. But they are eventually, they're on the road, and I love the idea that they're going through these ghost towns and searching out the tall man and his minions well, while mike is looking for this girl i can't remember her name liz liz, liz. liz. okay now you get this idea the tall man goes from town to town yeah and devastates these places he we have that i think the most iconic the graveyard visual is the graveyard that's scene. my favorite We're... single idea and shot in the right. movie so we it see... doesn't necessarily make sense because it is the modern times somebody's going to notice they they explain it away it's not really convincing but I go with it. But one of the things that's interesting to me is to think about it from 1988, before the internet, before cell phones. Right. The idea of driving into ghost towns. There had there were towns that died sure. for various well, reasons. They used them in these movies because right. they had to. Yeah. But the idea of driving into this town and 
going, yeah, all the bodies have been dug up from the cemetery. He's been here. I love it. The tall man is used very sparingly. He's like a spice. He's not in one very much. No. He does not talk very more much. than a few sentences right. in the first movie. He's not in two as much as you think. Right. And he doesn't show up uh, for a while. The fact that we know who the tall man is and he's this presence, even when he is not on screen, is indicative of how powerful a character it is and how good the movie works. The sense of dread in the second movie is almost stronger than in the first movie because it's out of control. It's almost like a plague. I mean, we don't see a lot of the violence and the death, but finding the remains of these towns is just such a good bit of business. And they did these effects in such a clever way, on budget, where they would just dig a few graves. I mean, they did it kind of like the way Caligari was made, if you know what I mean. They used theatrical tricks to put a lot of this stuff across. It's a sumptuous horror movie scene. Just everything you need to know about the series is in those shots. And again, things I like about old horror films is they go to places. Right. There are places in this. Right. And they're distinct visuals. They hit a few towns. It's a bit of a road movie. It's not right. a huge road movie. because, they, But, I mean, basically they keep going to Salem's Lot. It's like the right. it's book funny where they since re- you said that yeah. I can't get that out of my well that's head. what you know yeah. that's what it yeah. is they return to towns well in the, in Salem's lot they get they come back and they burn down the, the Marston house I think and they uh, but they spend time going through all the houses mm. and lose some of the characters and then the two of them are basically heading out to find the children of what's his face I can't remember Barlow or whatever. And in this movie, yeah, they, but I love the idea that he's a step ahead of them and they just keep finding his victims. And I would argue that it still has the nightmare quality, even though it's a linear film, because things feel well, wrong and out of place. It, and it's a waking unreal. nightmare. Yeah. So that's it's a good way so of putting it. Yeah. So, so it's like, oh my God, this town is horrible. All this shit is real. What's going on? What are these people? And they don't even, I like the fact that in some ways they don't even, I mean, you realize it's budget. Budget has always fucked with the Phantasm series. Since two, they've wanted to up the scale. And budget has never allowed them to do it. They've always basically wanted to have a war or something like a war, which I think was a bad idea, but I can understand why you would go that way. But you notice Reggie and, and Mike never go to the authorities. There's talk about it. Yeah. They never go to the authorities in the second film. In a very few scenes, they fill in this, the time spent on the road and the time they've spent fighting as becoming this well-oiled team of weaponized trap using they've winnowed down their techniques and they've got their shit together and reggie is an absolute actual action star in this fucking movie right which is hilarious because he does not look like it and he doesn't act like it but the two of them opening up the the first mausoleum that they go to and when they open that place up and start going through it like ghostbusters but seriously i love those scenes yeah they work for me incredibly. It's like those medical scenes where everybody's going stat and this yeah. and that. I mean, they have it down to a science of how they... And you can tell that they've been doing this for years. And that they're they're seasoned and they're inured to it to a degree. And it's a big... It's a sea change from their characters in the first movie. Well, yeah, because if you, you do that, the, the comparison from Alien to Aliens. Right. One's a horror film yes. and one's an action film. This is an, an action horror film. It is. There's, there's, Definitely. There's... Some people don't take to it that well, which is funny because it's kind of what this, the rest of the series, it's kind of what three and five are. Whatever the germ was is how do we make a sequel to this? It's perfect to me. When you limit a world, when you say this is all you could do, we're, we're stuck on an island. We're yeah. trying to, we're lost in space. We get all a monkey, we... to we, we build a, a wooden car for a monkey, but <laughs> yeah. not a boat. Yeah. <laughs> 
you know, Thanks, Professor. It limits what can happen. Right. And they really opened up the world in this where I'm like... I found it it's satisfying. Exciting. It's exciting. I found it it's satisfying. And I found that the stuff that, again, they're still not explaining everything the way that they do in, in later movies or in other movies. And the things that are around the corners and at the edges of this movie are mysterious and exciting to me. Right. We, we start seeing the, those grave diggers. What, uh, do they have gravers. Grave? gravers. Yeah, they call them gravers, which yeah. are, he's got... Kind of like the guy in the first movie who looked a little zombie. He looked right. a little uh, Lux interior looking, right. you know, a little dead maybe. But now he's got these, uh, he's got the dwarves, but they're also showing that more. he's got more of an operation going. Right. Still he's understaffed. Got, but he's got... He's got some dudes in gas masks and, right, and, they, and, yeah. and suits. Right. I think right. they... And I like the way they look. I don't know why right. nobody's made a toy of them. They're kind of like uh, my bloody gravedigger Valentine, <laughs> you know. And they're wheeling bodies around yeah. and doing digging shit. Right. They basically We're, seem to be his grunts. Right. Who, right. you know, so now he's got somebody lifting the coffins for him. Right, right. Uh, especially since he's dealing in wholesale cemeteries. When they bust in, when uh, Mike and uh, they're on, they're following him. And the thing is, they know he knows they're following him. They refer to things that have happened that we haven't seen. And it's a nice cat and mouse Moriarty Sherlock Holmes thing without overstating it. And what happens in this mortuary that they bust into looking for him is they find a, they find a, a girl right. in a corner who's shivering, and it looks right. a lot like Liz. And then it turns out it is Liz. And then it turns out it's a, a trick that the tall man played on them. Not even like to kill them, just to fuck with them. He, I think the, 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 it's a really creepy scene where um, you think they've found Liz, which is really cool. And she turns around and she's crying, and then something, a creature comes out of her back. Uh, so they're playing with the body horror from the first movie a little bit with a bit more of a budget. And it's this weird, what is it, like a giant worm with the tall man's it looks, sort of face? It, it's it's pretty gross. It's yeah. gross. It's, it's effect, the effects are, I think the effects are fantastic in the second movie. Mm. They basically satisfy on all the things that you would have liked to have seen the budget of the first movie be able to, you know, that there was, if there was more money in the first budget. And they do it without really going crazy. They don't go, here's, a, here's 80 balls, here's much more. They up the ante in a very satisfying way without throwing everything in your face, which the later films kind of do. Oh, yeah, especially when they start this, using CGI. And you start, when they start using CGI, because the problem is when you can do, that doesn't mean you should do, and CGI allows everybody to just throw shit in. Basically, the creature that comes out of her spine, or is her spine, tells them, come get me, or whatever the hell. And they say something like, oh, it's the tall man left another one of his calling cards or something. It's a nasty, dreary bit of business, and you're not even sure if it's the real Liz or not. There's still surprises, and you're still thrown off base, even though it's not as dreamlike or mysterious a film. And then we spend time in the town that Liz lives in. I, th I found that satisfying. It's not a ton of time, but you get to see what it's like when a town is starting to fall to the tall man. Right. You, On a budget. Right. You get, you get the idea that you're seeing the kind of what happens in the first film to this female character now. It's like the beginning of the character. infection yeah. in a town where he ends up taking all the graves. Now, it still begs the question. I don't know if I'm using that phrase right. I don't give a shit. Begging the question means to elicit a specific question as a reaction or response. 
and can often be replaced with a question that begs to be answered. The more you know. Of why is he spending so much fucking labor and time to take over a planet? Which is what it seems to be getting towards. It doesn't feel like... Because they're talking about basically this is an apocalypse situation. And that he's not going to stop, obviously. That this is going to lead to something. But they don't start getting to the cosmic or the World War zombie aspect of it. It's just he's more of a plague. And I do like the way that they kind of unroll the spread of the tall man's infestation over these towns her i think what is it her grandmother died or her her grandfather died one of her grandparents died she's another person who has no parents she is scared and alone in this town and has nobody helping her and she's uh, uh, reaching out psychically to mike after they've connected and i guess they've been doing this for years so it's not just that like the tall man came to her town and triggered something so that they're discussed you know what i mean but the idea that victims or that there are other people out there who have some abilities doesn't bother me even though it seems to have nothing to do with the tall man himself movies should have one miracle and so you're you're talking about introducing a psychic connection between two characters seems yeah well i mean that just gets them together right it's right uh, and i think it's used later on when one's in you know the usual thing someone's in danger and i don't mind that because in some ways it's like it kind of works in that interior dreamlike thing especially when reggie doesn't really believe she's real i think if i remember correctly and he's not sure what's going on either but but honestly i forgot even the time i re- i've seen it a few times now i always forget that when i first watched the movie i thought they were cruelly killing her off yeah i honestly thought that was it for that character this was a very cruel it's like the ending of a movie where the villain gets the girl and murders her to drive, you know, to give motivation to the male character right. or to just be horrible. And I actually thought that was the end of her. Uh, it was a good, it's a good double shock scene. Yeah. One, what is she doing here? Two, whoops. And then three, is she dead? But then they tore, you know, it's not her. Uh, so they finally meet after she has gone to a funeral and the tall man's walking around doing his job of maintaining a funeral services for dead people he's going to steal to make dwarves. Right. I know the characters, I know the setup, but I'm, I'm still excited for what they're doing. Um, she, we have a mini horror movie in the middle with, her, with Liz, her grandparents, the tall man, and a priest. Right. And the priest obviously knows what's going on. I mean, he's, he's, he's a drunk, possibly only recently. He knows that the town is being desecrated and that this is happening, uh, but he, he's a coward and won't do anything about it. So we have, I forget exactly how this plays out, but eventually she hooks up with Mike and um, Reggie after her grandmother has been killed. Uh, yeah, it's the grand, I think the grandfather is, I mean, so there's a zombified grandpa comes to the house. There's a little horror moment. Right. You know, who goes there? She, uh, grandma goes to the door and there's grandpa with his lips sewed up. <laughs> I mean, there's good shit in this movie. I mean, it works for me. And the, uh, the new graveyard is really cool looking too. Mm-hmm. It's a good looking, I mean, you know, you have to judge the movies by their, graveyards and there's their mortuaries in some ways because it's a it's kind of like the spaceship of each movie and um yeah they hook up and i think they escape the tall man or whatever but they they end up on the run or they retreat and we've met the gravers i think at this point because they were after her and we've got the dwarves oh we have new spheres right that becomes a thing that gets abused later on right in this movie it works real well there's a great tracking shot that introduces the uh spheres where we leave 
characters and a set of actions or one action. I think we leave the priest and the and Liz. And the camera goes past, if I remember correctly, goes past the characters who are in the scene. You're not expecting anything else to happen. And we follow the camera, steady cam type shot, until we get to this box that opens up and reveals three spheres and pushes them towards us. It's a swell scene. Mm. It's exactly what you want from this kind of movie. It's a nice way to play up these ridiculous spheres, mm. you know, and we you get excited. You know that's going into the trailer. And eventually we see our first sphere death in this movie, which is more graphic, pretty nasty of the priest. And there's an, okay, so here's an and there's an interesting bit, one of the only things in the movie that makes me go, what the fuck, like in the first movie. There's a religious aspect, obviously, with the priest. Also, uh, a scene at very Salem's Lot, like now that I think about it, where uh, Barlow kills the priest and has him cast down his uh, cross, which doesn't have any effect on him because of his lack of faith or his lack of, of uh, strength, you know, moral strength or, or just whatever the fuck. But in this movie, they have the tall man rebuff the cross so we know it's not a supernatural menace. And it's an interesting scene, even though if it's a bit gimmicky, the cross goes up in the air and hangs, you know, it's goofy. But he starts making these gestures towards hell and how, you know, we start getting this talk that, like, I'm not the devil or from hell and I'm not, right. I think I'm the, not a I dead think the body. Line is, there's a classic line that I would put in here. You think that when you die, you go to heaven, you come to us. Which is something along the lines of... You think when you die, right. you go to heaven, you come to us. Yes, you come to us, which is a terrific bullshit nonsense line. Yeah. It doesn't have to mean anything. Right. And eventually I kind of guess it does, but I kind of wish it didn't. Because with Phantasm, less is more. Oh, yeah, Phantasm, definitely. less is a lot more. The more that you wonder, the more that they show, the less that you wonder, the less effective yeah. things are yeah the less creepy the less dread the less interesting and the less satisfying mm. and two hits a sweet spot for me of the creepiness of the first movie the 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 waking nightmare like you put it and the and the action and the humor right the humor works for me in the second movie it does not work for me in the other three movies at all when, well in three and in three, let's say. Right. Well, and and there, parts of five. And there's real stakes to this because we learn that the tall man's killing and destroying right. places that he walks through. So right. he's a real menace. What the fuck is he in the first film? A guy torturing a kid? What? It doesn't... Right. It, could, it doesn't... It could mean anything. Right. It's it, it, Exactly. Because it does work as a personal dream in the first movie, if you think about it. And is he just... It, yeah, the, st the stakes are not high in the first movie. And the French fried potato. Play bridge? I play bridge a little. What do you play for? Oh, we just play for small stakes. And French fried potatoes? French fried potatoes. But, um... But they don't. But they're they're high enough because we really invested in Mike and his friends. But mm. the thing is, in the second movie, this is the thing. It's very hard to put yourself in another person's mind and situation. When I see some of the actual hate for the second movie, some of it is very fanish and easy to dismiss. They're still bitching about Mike being a different actor. I'm mm. like, watch the fucking movie. Actors change all the time. The movie works for me on so many levels, and it's intelligent. It's well done. It's well put together. The horror stuff works for me. The action stuff works for me. Does it have some jerky moments? Sure it does. It's a 1988 movie or whatever the hell about people fighting the tall man. 
I'm not making special pleading for it. I just think it works. Yeah. Um, I think that a lot of the th- people complain. A lot of the things that people complain about in the second movie, uh, some of the jerky humor, some of the, uh, uh, the some of the action sequences, the chainsaws and things like that. I think they're abused way further in the other movies, uh, mostly three and five. I mean, whatever. But I think there are some people who just want to dislike this movie and that they have this weird loyalty test with the actor who plays Mike. I think it's a wonderful thing that Coscarelli seems like he's very loyal to his co-workers and his actors and whatnot. But I'm sorry, Mike is not a good actor. Uh, neither is Jody, the guy who plays Jody. They're just not good actors. And I don't think they're in anybody else's movies. I'm not saying that that's definite proof of, it, of talent. But Reggie ends up in other movies and Angus Scrimm has a career in other movies. And as much as Phantasm has tons of fans, they're not putting Thornberry and, and Mike Baldwin into their movie. They just don't work outside of that first film. And I really wish the two of them were not in the later films, to be quite honest. I mean, Reggie is the glue. The tall man is the villain. And the, the world, I think, needed to be explored more than just constantly rec- these three characters saving each other. Over well, yeah, because over. because as we as we get into it, we'll see that there's kind of a, a mini reset almost. <laughs> Again, yeah. So, so the second movie is pretty straightforward, though. They they meet uh, a fourth member of our team is brought in right. as Reggie picks up his first because he loves the ladies. He loves the ladies. He never talks about his wife and kid, but all of a sudden he's a horn dog, and there's a lot of sex humor and bad jokes, and it doesn't bother me in this movie. Right. right. He's he's such a jerky, goofy character. He's a hippie dude. It's actually kind of healthy to see this guy going. I'm horny. I want to pick up this girl. Right. And, uh, yeah, she's... but And I think, and she's a weird character. Well, I kind of dig her. Oh, we have seen her in the movie before. Right. In she's, a vision. She's, she's shown... As a body on a... She's shown as a... She's a body on a, on a gurney. And this brings back the dream aspect of the first movie. This is another thing that keeps the weird dream logic going, even though the movie is more linear and slick. But there's still these moments of, what the fuck was that? And it doesn't get explained. Right. And she and she shows up and her name is, is Alchemy. Alchemy, yeah. She's a really interesting character, even though she doesn't get to do a lot. But she's a real presence in the movie, beyond her scenes. And she's funny. Right. She's just... We have this very, very... I mean, the ragtag group of very odd bedfellows. Right. There's a scene where they pick her up. They, uh, some of the stuff's explained to her, blah, blah, blah. This also sets up a precedent for the later movies where Reggie finds women wherever he goes and somehow ends up in a romantic situation with them that is ludicrous. Right. And even though they make fun of it, it's still kind of cringy. Right, right. But um, in this one, I kind of dig it. Uh, it. It's also the first time you're seeing it, so you're not like going, holy shit, this again. But they are attacked at the house that they're holed up in they set up all these traps. I and mean, I liked all the things where they're doing to protect themselves. This movie, they're, they're all paranoid because they don't know what the hell's going on. With, they don't know exactly how to fight back uh, when they're not in control of the situation because there's dead people. There's, there's the first zombies you've gotten in this movie, which becomes a problem too. But the gravers look like they might be dead. It's hard to tell. Uh, the grandfather's definitely dead, who was sent back to the house and the dwarves stick around and the tall man and the spheres so they rig they rig the house that they're holed up onto in case anybody's breaks in makes a lot of sense they don't do this in the later movies 
You'd think they'd become more paranoid. Well, they take the idea of traps and make it a home alone when we get to that well that's a terrible t yeah and it's also a transference of like a, sh of a of a theme from one character to another it's yeah. really stupid but not only do they like not carry their weaponry around with them and act like tactical fighters of evil the logic within the series starts to break down in those later movies and it all gets set up in the second yeah. movie yeah um because it's the real things it's not even dream things it's like don't pick women up off the, off the street when they turn out to be Monsters. Monsters. <laughs> yeah. You know, stay away from these fucking things. Rig your house because they're going to try to break in. Bring your weapons into the house you're sleeping in. I mean, it's just kind of sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I forget exactly why they end up where they end up. Does she get kidnapped? Yes. They grab Liz and Alchemy stays back. They take one of the cars. They go to rescue Liz. And we get basically a action adventure kind of steroid ending rehash of the last movie in a way very satisfying i think but basically they take the invade the mausoleum uh and fight off the goons and the tall man and they just pump literally pump it up right um it's not really worth going into i think because it doesn't have except for any plot angles liz is rescued it's an interesting thing liz is rescued from being cremated by the gravers which doesn't make sense in the later movies because they don't waste bodies uh, because they invent all that shit with what they do with the brains and the bodies and blah, blah. Reggie is fighting a graver. There's a there's a uh, chainsaw fight, which basically I, that's a nice knife mm. joke. But I like it. It's well yeah. shot. He uses his foregunner on a bunch of dwarves for the first time. Maybe should have been the last time. And I think we we end up in one of those weird rooms again with the portal. Yeah. We see the monsters inside, the dwarves inside. We get a better look at the... Is this the one where they... Sh yes, this is the one where they show the tubs, the little barrels break open. They show the dwarves being, being born, I think. Like, they end up on that other world, and then they pop open, and they come out, and one of them's trying to get Reggie. I think Reggie goes through now. Yeah. So it's really just kind of like a little more information and a return to that scene. Right. Then we get some mortuary funnies stuff and the tall man is defeated. Right. Th he just is... shows up kind of... He does not, like, do a ton again. They put, like... They pump him full of uh, that fluid. fluid of, with, uh, oh, they throw acid, acid into yeah. the embalming fluid and right. then they stick him with a needle and they all get to do something. I, right. She stabs him, I think. Reggie has put the stuff in. Uh, they've all been fighting and shooting and this and that. There's no indication... I think at the end of two that the tall man has any reason to be fucking with Mike other than we just need that for the movie. I don't think there's any master plan. No, it's it's it, they're uh, chasing him. They're chasing him and he seems to just be getting a kick at it because it, it, they don't really put a fucking dent in his operations, do they? And at the end of two, do we discover that there's another tall man? Uh, no, I don't think we discovered that till the beginning. Because that's kind of, of important. Because I, it's it's the it's the beginning of three that really I, that I that that we show his body. Right. So what happens at the end of two is they think they're they think they've won. Alchemy comes. They, Alchemy comes to get them in the in the in the hearse, right? Because right. they're driving a hearse. Too many hearses. They also use the hearses as yeah. if they had to. They had to. Right. So Alchemy shows to pick them up from the place. Reggie Reggie sees that her. She's like part of her head's coming off. Mike and, and Liz, Liz are in the back of the hearse, <sighs> and Alchemy acts all sexy and closes the 
right. slides the door, the the partition, Divider, yeah. And Reggie gets all excited, and it's a cute little moment actually, because he's being his dumb horn dog self. The kids in the back are like, "Okay, let's hug and everything." You know, it's not actually done. It's done pretty well for a goofball scene. And then she's twirling her hair, yeah, and she yanks a chunk of her hair out with the skin, right? And uh oh, and then, well, don't worry, it was all a dream. Yeah, I think I think Mike starts going, "Don't worry." Oh, because the the car starts going crazy because you you don't see what's happening to Reggie. You just hear him screaming. Yeah. And then Mike is basically, Mike basically goes to Liz. This is what happens in Phantasm. He, like he literally goes, oh, Liz, you haven't really done this. Okay. At, in Phantasm, crazy shit happens. And you know what I mean? And you think it's, it's just a dream. And the tall man is now driving the car, I think, and says, no, no he, it's not. No, I think he's, he the, yeah, I forget where he, he shows he's some, up. He sh- and he goes, no, it's not. Right. And then they get. Both of them get pulled out. Pulled out of the fucking moving car by the dwarves who I guess are on jetpacks. I never understood that that ending quite. Oh, no. I think they stop the car. And then yeah. Reggie is all bloody and dead. B- Reggie's bloody and appears right. in the window and right. collapses. Again, like the first movie, we're going, what the fuck is going on? Right. And, oh, they just killed Reggie. That's great. Right. And then they pull our two yeah. cherished Mike and Liz characters out of the place and the end. Right. And, and it's, You have the same fucking feeling as one and i kind of did not dig it just probably for the same reasons i didn't dig it in one because this is really how you're going to end now three hours of this story you're going to do a cliffhanger right because now it feels like a cliffhanger the first movie doesn't feel like a cliffhanger it feels no. like well it's just hey, right. fuck it's you the, kid it's, yeah it's the fucked up ending of a, of a movie it's, it's oh, a depressing no. ending of a crazy film of dreams and murder right. and, and, and now, dead people and now but now you actually get a god now you're going this is the same kind of ending the same beat as the last one except they did it to four people thinking to yourself, was alchemy always a dead body that was fucking yeah. with them yeah or, or which was is it a vigil, was it yeah. the tall man again because i think at the end you're supposed to believe that that's yeah. him yeah. maybe i think he's in the driver's seat i'd have to check but he's already turned into a woman in the first so it's a reprisal of a lot of that stuff it's kind of unsatisfying because it's almost more cartoon logic at this point than dream logic because the second movie does not fuck around as much. So at the end when you go, oh, by the way, you won, but the girl you slept with last night is actually the tall man or a dead person and they just drove here at the exact right time to pick you up after you just supposedly killed everybody inside. And no, everybody's all the dwarves and the tall man. It's just a, it's a little too abrupt. It's a little too much like the first movie except more so. It's the first indication of... You remember that scene you liked? We're going to do it again, right. but we're going to make it bigger. Right. Now there's More, two people getting killed. Now pulled. there's two people killed. There's one killed in the front. This other one was dead. And these two are now possibly killed or dead. And we don't know. What, and the tall man's still alive and we don't know what happened. And you, it's a weird note to be left on. Right. At the same time, you also can sit there and go, was this all a dream? Again, really? Yeah, from the line you go, was that what they're implying? But unfortunately, not. This is not like the first film that has these crazy scenes that you go, "Did I really dream that? Did that really right. happen?" This is this is an adventure movie. It's the only unsatisfying part of the movie for me because one, I like, I'm actually engaged with these characters. I thought it was a cheap out to just have it. Oh, by the way, you guys were hanging out with a dead person the whole movie. It just comes out of nowhere. I mean, yes, we've seen the zombies, but at the same time, the zombies were shown to be obvious. Well, I would, I would say that, that for me, the reason it's a bad ending is because of what happens in 3. Well, that colors a lot of it. It's, yeah. if, if 3 
That does it for this episode. The boys will return with their opinions on the last three Phantasm films. Did you know, know Reggie loved the ladies where they go? It's like one minute they hear and then they turn to animals. If I slept with all these zombies, that would make me handle Why they looking in this room? I done been in here before running from a tall man, mad scientist. Try to add me to his client list. The Bad Ones. Find the podcast online at tearthemapart.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Twitter at TearThemPodcast. You can support the podcast on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash TearThemApartPodcast. It's one of those movies where you go, but wait. So he dreamt about all this happening and it wasn't real and Jody's dead and Reggie isn't, but the tall man and the dwarves still exist? It's never over. Boy!